Hi, this is the See You Next Tuesday podcast. We have dirty words and shit potholes throughout the entire episode. Our name literally spells Kant. How could you not know what was coming? Thanks for listening. You're so excited. I'm so excited. Only because you don't have to do that one. That's true. Hi, y'all. Hi. We're back recording for another episode of the See You Next Tuesday podcast. I'm Jesse. I'm Amanda. Thank y'all for listening, joining us today. <sighs> hey, so I am all, I've been like on this TV watch and binge lately instead of reading. I just kind of, I don't know, it's easier. <laughs> it is easier and you think less about it. And also like I... I feel like, and, and this might just be me, but through the week, when I'm in the work week, mm-hmm. I'm so, like, in it, in the zone, that when I'm not in the work week, I, it just it's just exhausting to do anything but just sit and watch something. No, that's facts. Okay. That's facts. I feel lazy. I feel like, what is wrong with me? Like, my capacity to do basically anything has gone down to, like, half of what it used to be. So... If you want me to do anything besides sit on my couch and stare at a box on the wall, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. And maybe it is the state of the world right now and, like, just everything and then life. But, dude. And it's weird because I think about the stuff I did even in 2019. Wake up, 545, full on, get ready, face, hair, makeup, outfit, commute oh my to God, work. Isn't that a song? Is it? Face, hair, nip. Mm. You're yeah. going to think of it. Todrick. Oh, is it Todrick? Mm, I... Are you on the Todrick game? See, I haven't gotten on the Todrick game yet. And I Hold am on. like... Hold on. Did I just take my age minus 10 because I said the name Todrick? You did. I'm very <laughs> like... Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I'm very proud of you. Okay, you're going to have to send me the, the link to his song because I really want to listen to it. Or their song, actually. Because he's non-binary. They're non-binary, correct? Oh, my age just jumped back up. That's okay. We're, we're learning unsh- pronouns. That's the point. I am unsure which pronouns they go by. Mm-hmm. But Todrick, if you don't know, well, I was first introduced, again, old, on um, Queer Eye for Straight Guy, on the, the episode with their first transgendered um, guest. And their biggest fan, they were the biggest fans of Todrick. So, um, they're a, 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 a performer, singer, songwriter, fashion, makeup, superstar, um, of the non-binary, non-binary community. And, uh, yeah, I haven't been turned out of them yet. The song I am thinking of is Todrick. <gasps> we can't play it because I don't want to get sued and I don't have the money for that. But there, it does list oh, the lyrics. Ooh, nails, hair, hips, heels, ass fat, lips real. Ooh, yes, ass fat, which I'm going to have to listen to that song. I cannot wait until Lizzo's new album fully drops because her new song, you know, obviously is everywhere, is giving me life. And I feel like she's going to take us out of this funk we've all been in and put us into a different kind of funk. You know, the good kind of groovy funk with her music. She is just a ray of light, dude. Seriously. Do you follow her on TikTok? I think that I do, but I don't get on TikTok that much anymore because I get on TikTok and then eight days later, I'm like... It's only been five minutes. Fuck, man. Yeah. You know when I'm on TikTok because you will get a string (laughs) of 65 videos. I can't stop myself. So I'm the same way in how I've learned how to to rein myself in instead of like constantly blasting videos to you and everybody else I know is I text them to myself. So then I'll send them to someone later so it's not like because I'm the same way I will literally find 15 videos in a row where I'm like oh my god Amanda has to see this one oh my god and then I'm just like Jessica chill the fuck out I can't stop and then TikTok literally will tell me you need to take a break yeah and I'm like (laughs) fuck you TikTok and I keep scrolling like 
I can't stop. I have a timer on my phone for how long I can be on that app. And what I, are you, six? I am Power six years it. old. I am six years old, and I do. I ignore every time. Every time I'm like, ignore for today. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> TikTok, TikTok itself literally says, bitch, you got to stop. <sighs> bitch, you need to stop. I'm just... <sighs> so, yes. Yes, it's my obsession, for sure. Well, again, algorithms, it, it they... They get it. They know what they're doing. But if you want to follow positive and good things on social media, highly recommend her. Um, God, our girl Dylan. Oh, oh, Dylan. Dylan and JVN had a, they met each other. They got together. Oh, JVN did her hair. Oh, This my is God. the biggest news in our lives because we absolutely love Jonathan Vaness. Absolutely love him. I got the very, very fortunate chance to actually see his act in, in actually 2019. Now I think about it. Oh my God. November 2019, he came to Austin. I got a chance to see him and he's hilarious, by the way. They're hilarious. Excuse me. I'm misgendering uh, again. Mis- um, they're hilarious and I had the absolute best time. I really think if he would just come and meet us, I'm sorry, if they would just come and meet us, they would realize the three of us are meant to be the three best friends. Yeah, exactly. 100%. Like, I think we we would all become forever best friends. Yes. I feel like everyone feels like that about them. They probably get that all the time, both no, of them. No, but with us, it's true. <laughs> Honestly, be our best friends. We love you. Yes. And so when Dylan, Jane, I want her to be my best friend. She has the best clothes. The little crochet dress that she was wearing yes. while she was getting her hair done was like the beyond adorable yeah and something interesting that i'm learning about is like the uh like femininity being outside of being associated with a woman's body you know what i'm saying by that mm-hmm. like this is a very new concept for me personally because i've always been taught that they're together you know because that's how we were taught right not the right way now we all know it doesn't really fucking matter and gender's a construct and all of that other crap so it's just like i i just find it so fascinating how dylan can embody femininity and how she speaks about it as really building a culture and community of being kind to others as part of being feminine being very um accepting and loving is very feminine. Like, I think it's interesting the attributes associated with femininity from an outside perspective mm-hmm. because I've always been a cisgendered female my whole life. I right, never thought right, of it. Right. You know, it's not something that I'm like, oh, think about femininity. But then you got to think, okay, we all have aspects of both that and masculinity in us. Right, right. Everybody. So I, I just love it. I think it's fascinating. My new favorite, though, is the one I sent you, was it last night I was on another TikTok binge? I think so, yes. <laughs> um, of that new girl I found where she's like, I have fabulous clothes and I just want to show them off. And I don't care who might, quote unquote, find this offensive because she didn't have, quote unquote, the perfect body type. Right. Exactly. And, and the beach body comment? Yes. Yes. Uh- I loved that. It's so true. It's a beach body because it's my body is on the beach. Bitch, preach. That's it. It's all about like loving yourself where you're at. You know? She's my new favorite. I wish yeah. I could remember her name. Yeah. But we obviously love TikTok. We're actually on TikTok too, by the way, guys. See you next Tuesday podcast. It's me, Jesse, most of the time. And my ugly mug that you get to see. So, I mean, sorry, everybody. It's because <laughs> we spend so much time together creating the episodes that if we had to spend even more time together Ugh. for the TikToks, we might as well just Move leave in. our husbands and get yeah. our own house. <gasps> oh, that's an idea. I'm in. They can visit us when when needed. You know what I mean? Right. But then the rest of the time, I think they'd be fine with it. I really think they might be okay with that completely. After the, <laughs> after the fit I threw, I think mine would be more than happy. <laughs> Oh, well, in your defense, the room was left messy, so I get it. Oh, I wasn't talking about that one. Oh, okay. Not that one? Which one? Oh, the one I threw last night. Oh. Do you want to talk about it? Well, the man can't breathe when he lies down, and even if he's not asleep, it sounds like he's snoring, and, you know, I just couldn't sleep, so 
I went to sleep on the couch, even though my back already hurt. And then he's like, well, I'll go sleep on the couch. I'm like, I'm already halfway there. And I was like, you know what? I might as well go take the spare bedroom and decorate it for myself and just take my clothes and live in there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why not? I'm like, just go to the fucking doctor, dude. And he's like, I already went to the doctor and had surgery and it obviously didn't work. I was like, well, most people would go back to the doctor and tell them it didn't work. Yeah. Well, because uh, deviated septum, right? No, it wasn't that. Oh, it wasn't it was that. I don't know what it was. Oh, okay. But I'm like, just go, the fuck you go back. Right. And be like, hey, I'm still experiencing issues. Right. <laughs> Man. Oh, <sighs> no. Oh, and then the dumbass comment he said this morning before you got to my house. Uh-oh. Ready, ladies, this going to piss you off. So my um, Amazon Echo on the screen has said that Abbott Labs was going to be able to start producing baby formula again. Oh, good. And I was like, oh, God, that's great because, you know, the shortage and all. And I was like, and there's these women out there. Going, well, if everyone just breastfed, which I, as a woman, you should never say that to no. another woman. It, like, we get we get the sentiment, but not everyone's able to. Even if you can, you can't produce enough. I mean, there's all of these different yeah, factors. There's, so, there's, don't, judge, don't judge women, in other words. Yeah, there's no need for women to hate. You know, no, we need any, to be building each other up at this point. Correct. Anywho, my dumbass husband says, because I said, well, you know... Some people, I said, a lot of women just can't breastfeed. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, that's not necessarily true. (gasps) Did he just speak on behalf of women? I go, well, as a dickhead with a penis, as soon as you made that first half of your statement, I don't have to listen to anything else you said. (laughs) What happened? Did he just look at you? He was like, well, I'm allowed to have my own opinion. I'm like, not about breastfeeding, you don't. No, honey. I mean, yeah, you can have your opinion, but it doesn't matter because you you literally have no skin in that game. You don't have the features, so no, sweetie. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. He means well. I love him, ladies, and he's really not a dick. But when he says things like that, he is a dick. Yeah, and that's okay. Oh, I mean, there's no perfect unicorn man. No. Or lady. No. He's married to this. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, so I'm really excited because This is our first cutlet. Yes! Yay! So we are doing cutlets, otherwise known as kids who kill at this point in our episodes. So we're really excited and I get to be the first one. So I was like, you know what? I got to get a big cutlet. And I did. I, I, I'm really excited about this one simply because this person fascinates me. I don't know why. It's much like the Black Dahlia for me. So do I need to it. make sure you can't reach the scissors in the desk drawer? Why? Why do you say that? I'm a little bit scared now. Oh, don't be. <laughs> don't worry. I won't become a murderer. Oh, I, I'm good. I'm not related to her. I'm fine. Yeah, no, you're fine. And, and the other thing I will say is, I know we had the warning at the beginning. I'm just going to SP warning one more time here. This person is, there's a lot of SV, there's DV, there's a lot of, there's decapitation. So, eh, heads up, we're going into some dark territory. 52-year-old Clarnell Kemper came home after a party on April 20th, 1973, and was accidentally woken up by her adult son, who was living with her at the time. She went into her room to read, and then her son came into the room. Suppose you're going to want to sit up all night and talk now, she said when he walked in. No, good night. And he went back to bed. Once Clarnell was asleep, her son went back to her room, hit her in the head with a claw hammer, then slit her throat with a penknife. He decapitated her, removed her hands, and cut out her larynx and shoved it down the garbage disposal. When the larynx wouldn't go down, he quipped, that seemed appropriate as much as she'd bitched and screamed and yelled at me for over so many years. He then put her head on a shelf and screamed at it for an hour and used it as a dartboard before smashing her face. He hid her body in the closet and grabbed a drink at a bar close by. When I see a pretty girl walking down the street, I think two things. One part of me wants to take her home, be real nice and treat her right. The other part wonders what her head would look like on a stick. 
Today we're talking about Edmund Kemper, the co-ed killer. Have you heard of him? I mean, of course I have. Yeah. Edmund Emil Kemper III was born on December 18th, 1948 in Burbank, California, and was another middle child of three. The other two children were girls. His dad was Edmund Kemper Jr., and his mom was Clarnell Kemper. <laughs> they did not do her favors with that name, Clarnell. I mean, is there even, like, a nickname, like a shortened version for that? I don't even know. Clarney? Claire? Clarnell. Nellie? Nellie? Nell. Oh, God. I'm going to say Clarnell, because <laughs> why not? His dad used to test nuclear weapons after WW2, then became an electrician when he moved back to California. Clarnell liked to give him a hard time about his now menial job as an electrician. And Edmund Kemper, our killer, weighed 13 pounds when he was born and was taller than most kids by age four. Edmund would eventually grow to be 6'9", 300 pounds. He was very close to his dad, but he couldn't stand being around Clarnell. So much so that he stated, quote, suicide missions in wartime and the atomic bomb testings were nothing compared to living with Clarnell. And that she affected him more than 396 days and nights of fighting on the front did. So that's the kind of woman that Clarnell was. And that was her husband talking about her. Basically saying, I would rather go to war than to go back home to Clarnell. So obviously they got divorced because <laughs> he was like, I'm done with this. Clarnell then moved the whole family to Helena, Montana. And all of this really upset Edmund because that was his best friend was his dad. Edmund would then start setting fires. We used his sister dolls for weird rituals and sex acts and would pull the dolls heads off. Now, OK, who didn't have naked headless Barbies? Raise your hand. Hello. I'm raising my hand extremely high because I did. You know, I didn't take my Barbie's heads off. Well, sometimes they would pop off and then I'd have to pop them back on. Because, you know, sometimes the, 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 the make-out sesh with Ken get really hard and heavy. So, you know, sometimes you got to pop them right back on. No, I never took my Barbie's heads off. Okay. His favorite thing to do, though, was torture cats. And he even buried one alive at age 10. When another cat of theirs seemed to like one of his sisters more, he killed it and put pieces of it in his closet until his mom found the pieces. I mean, isn't that what you do with all cats and animals that don't like you? Yeah, you know. It, but this was all a part of the dark fantasy life that he was crafting in his head. And so he would play it out in real life. All the little weird details that he had in his head. Part of the reason why... He had this whole other reality going on is because Clarnell was an abusive, dysfunctional alcoholic who would abuse him in every sense of the word short of sexual assault. She would keep him locked in the basement as a child away from his sisters because Clarnell was afraid that he would hurt them because of his size. She would make fun of his size, calling him, quote, a real weirdo. She would belittle him as much as she could and was afraid to show him any love or affection because, and I'm quoting, it might turn him gay. So he grew up in a very deprived, loveless home, basically already coming from a terrible childhood, and he was already exhibiting behaviors of antisocial personality disorder, making the perfect cocktail for a serial killer. Once when Edmund was young, he had a crush on his second grade teacher, and unlike what others might do about this, which is, you know, we all had a crush on a teacher at one oh, point. Oh, I mean... Everybody. You know, you would, like, write her, like, little anonymous love notes or whatever. Right. Something cute, and then you get over it and move on with your day. Yes. Edmund would stand outside her windows at night while carrying his father's war bayonet. When his sisters teased him about liking a teacher, he's like, why don't you kiss her? He said, if I'd kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. And this was at a teen years. That's... Weird. Yeah. He played games like electric chair and gas chamber with his sisters, which are exactly how they sounded. That's exactly how they would play out. And while Clarnell is obviously being abusive by locking her son away from the daughters, she's not entirely wrong. Like, I, I think she's a terrible person. 
But I think her instincts were spot on with like, this guy's a little off. Something's wrong with my son. Something's off about him and I don't know what it is. Which her way of dealing with it was like, lock it away. Yeah. Which is I mean, not, that's not... No. Don't lock your kids in closets. It's also the 50s and the 60s. Mental health wasn't something talked about. And obviously this wasn't the case of her going like, let me get him as much help as he needs. Now, did you say if she drank when she was pregnant? I don't know if she did. But a lot of women did back in the day, so I wouldn't put it past her. At 14 in 1962, he ran away from home to find his dad. He ran all the way to Van Nuys, California. And there he found his dad had remarried and had another kid because, you know, he's moving on with his life. He did let Edmund stay with him for a while, which I thought was was really actually kind of nice. And also think about this. If this happened today... There'd be, like, kidnapping charges. and You know what I mean? It's oh, a totally different world. Yes, 100%. <laughs> yeah. Even if the kid did run away to the father, it's just different. But the guy was like, yeah, no, no worries. And then he sent him to live with his parents, Edmund's grandparents, in um, the Sierra, excuse me, Sierra Nevada Mountains in North Forth, California at their ranch. So... His dad was probably like, look, I get it. Your mom's awful. Here, you stay with me for a while, and then I'll set you up with your grandparents so you can stay with them for a while until you're out of the house, out of high school. And Edmund said that he hated living with his grandparents. He said that his grandma would emasculate him. I personally think he was projecting because that's what his mother used to do to him. Mm -hmm. So I think he thought every woman in authority would be doing that to him. He also would say that, like, his grandpa was senile, and he started abusing and killing animals again, but this time with a rifle that they had on the ranch. So his grandparents were smart and took away the gun and hid it. Oh, what a novel thought. It's an idea, right? Yeah. Isn't that an interesting idea? Crazy. hmm And then while it did stop him for a while, it didn't prevent what happened next, because on August 27th, 1964, he and his grandma got into an argument while sitting at the kitchen table. He stormed off, found or got the rifle, not sure which, and shot her in the head and then twice in the back. Her last words were, quote, oh, you'd better not be shooting the birds again. His grandma was, uh, excuse me, his grandpa was out grocery shopping at the time, but when he came back suddenly, Edmund shot him in the driveway by the car. He really didn't know what to do next after shooting them both, so he called his mom, Clarnell, who told him, call the cops. He did. They arrested him immediately, and he was only 15 years old. Wow. He told authorities that he, quote, just wanted to see what it felt like to kill Grandma, and said that Grandpa was collateral damage because he didn't want the old man to see his wife like that. Because of how young he was and the brutality of the murders, they had a psyche valve done, and he was diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and went to a Tascadero State Hospital maximum security for mentally ill convicts. So I, as I'm sure some of you out there are also fascinated by state hospitals in the 50s because of all the, you know, horror films made about them. State hospitals at the time were places to house anyone society didn't know what to do with or who were unwanted. Some of the people that they housed were orphans, convicted juveniles, alcoholics, medically ill poor people or poor people in general, people with Down syndrome or people with mental, other mental illnesses, and they even served as nursing homes. So anybody unwanted by society would be put into a state hospital. Mm-hmm. Basically to house them until they died. They don't care what happened to them. Like good care No, either. it was not good care. It was literally like, well, we can't kill them, so what do we do with them? And it's really sad because even people like housewives that didn't want to do their housework were sent there by their husbands who were like, well, got to get Betty to get back in the kitchen. And they would go there to be corrected and have like shock treatments done to them or, you know, these horrible like hot and cold bath experiments. It's just absurd. And and I just want to say this, while that is abhorrent and that should never happen, we also do need some sort of state mental care (laughs) as well. There has to be a balance between the two. Yes. I mean, I think it's, perfectly possible just nobody wants to do it right and 
As we all know at the time, paranoid schizophrenia was a diagnosis they gave for basically anything from like the aforementioned housewife not wanting to do her housework to housework to actually like paranoid schizophrenics. So it was hard to add. If you see that diagnosis of anybody at this time, it's like, were they or weren't they? Is it really just, maybe they have autism? Maybe they have dyslexia. Maybe they're just upset, <laughs> just having a hard time. So it, it, it could have been anything. But at the time, the psychiatrist also thought that was kind of like, well, is he really? This kid's 15. So they did other tests um, on him to verify what exactly Edmund had. The findings stated that he didn't have most of the typical schizophrenic traits. Um, instead, he was incredibly introspective and intelligent and had an IQ of 136 to 145 because they tested him at least twice. He displayed personality trait disturbance and passive aggressive type behavior. And Edmund used his intelligence to fool them all. They said he was a model prisoner and they even gave him psychiatric tests to give to other prisoners there as an administrator. So he became his psychiatrist's assistant. He was then able to learn how all the tests were, how they worked, how they were administered, so then he could manipulate psychiatrists in the future. And he learned from some of the other inmates there, especially sex offenders, how to kill and get away with it. The state hospital essentially turned into his serial killer college. After five years of treatment, on December 18, 1969, on his 21st birthday, yes, he's a Sagittarius, he was released from Atascadero into the custody of Clarnell against the wishes of his doctors. I mean, they knew the mental and physical torture that she put him through all those years. And they were like, yeah, we really shouldn't be releasing him into her custody because they already have a contentious relationship. He's on the edge. She's not the person he, he needs to be sent to, but they gave him to her anyway, which makes no sense to me. Uh, since her, the five years, she had been remarried. She had been divorced again. And then she was working at the University of California, Santa Cruz as, as an administrative assistant. Edmund started to go to community college because he eventually wanted to become a state uh, police officer. So a state trooper. Yeah, However, so he could hide his crimes. Mm -hmm. He was too tall and big at the time to be a police officer. I don't know if that's still the case can you be six nine three hundo as a police officer i don't see why not i mean i would think that would like be a good thing so i kind of wondering were they like we kind of feel a vibe that we don't like so we don't want him on the force and that was what they said i don't know maybe that could have been it so instead what he would do is he would hang around cop bars and hang around cops all the time he would even frequent a cop bar in town called The Jury Room, where he came to be known as Big Ed. So he was that guy. He was that, like, local favorite at the bar. Everybody knew Big Ed. He was always kind of funny and just chilling, and, you know, he would have good jokes. Some even let him have a training school badge, and one even let him borrow a gun. Uh, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> yep. So, obviously, because copping wasn't an option for him... He had, you know, all these odd jobs. And one time, he finally got a job at the California Department of Public Works as a laborer. And he started saving money to leave his mom's home because she was back on her bullshit. They would get into, like, these vicious arguments once he stated, quote, it would go to fists with a man, but this was my mother, and I couldn't stand the thought of my mother and I doing these things. She insisted on it, and just over stupid things. I remember one roof razor was over whether I should have my teeth cleaned. So, constant fighting and bickering, even though he's 21, 22, 23. Through this time, he was still seeing probation psychiatrist after his release until finally on November 29th, 1972, his criminal record was expunged. And there was a statement as to why, by one of the psychiatrists, which I'm going to read in part, quote, if I were to see this patient without having any history available or getting any history from him, I would think that we're dealing with a very well-adjusted young man who had initiative, intelligence, and who was free of any psychi psychiatric illnesses. 
It is my opinion that he has made a very excellent response to the years of treatment and rehabilitation, and I would see no psychiatric reason to consider him to be of any danger to himself or to any member of society. Great job, dude. Really nailed it. When he finally got enough to leave her, he moved to Alameda, but never really had enough money to fully be out of his mom's house. So he got just enough money saved to be like, okay, I'm going to get an apartment. He bought himself a motorcycle. He's like, okay, cool. I I have a a place to stay. I got a mode of transportation. I'm set. But his, I, I couldn't tell if it was like his work either wouldn't pay enough or he had, you know, roommates in and out. But sometimes he would have to move back in with Clarnell, which I can imagine that was an awful process. So that motorcycle he bought was hit by a car shortly after buying it. And he got viciously injured on his arm to where he couldn't work anymore. So he received a settlement of $15,000 in the 70s, which is around $103,747,000 today. Wow. So... I mean, that's a good amount of money to definitely set yourself up for at least something. He used some of this money to buy a 1969 Ford Galaxy and would cruise around Santa Cruz noticing all the attractive young hitchhikers in the area. He would pick up these ladies and send them safely on their way the first 150 times or so because Edmund had this like big teddy bear quality to him that most women see as harmless. Truly, if you see a photo of him and you hear him talk, you're like, oh, okay. He is that big teddy bear guy. There's like, ah, he's just a sweet, lovable lug, and he wouldn't do, he wouldn't hurt a fly. So whenever this guy's offering you a ride, he looks like kind of like a lovable galoot. So you're like, okay, sure, why not? They had no idea the actual person who was hiding underneath this lovable lug character, and so they trusted their lives with him. And then this is when his as he calls them, little zapples, his homicidal urges started to rise. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he went on a spree between May of 72 and April 73. May 7th, 1972, Marianne Pesh and Anita Luquesa were 18-year-old hitchhikers from Fresno State. They were hitchhiking in Berkeley, California and headed to Stanford University in Stanford, California when Edmund picked them up. And this drive is, usually takes around an hour or so. So when he stopped around the hour mark into their drive, it was a wooded area. And they were like, that's kind of weird. And then all of a sudden, he slapped handcuffs on Marianne and locked Anita in the trunk. Don't know where he got the handcuffs. His, cops friends are his looking... cop friends, Yeah, man. They pretty like, good. Hey, bro, you might need these with the ladies sometime. I mean, but don't do that. Don't, don't beat these guys, if that's the case. Oh, my God. He said that he actually got embarrassed when he accidentally brushed against Marianne's breast with his hand while he was handcuffing her. He was like, whoops, I'm sorry, or something like that. Oh, I touched your boob. <laughs> legit. But I think he actually was. Like, I legitimately think he was actually embarrassed because of the the relationships he's had with women are very cloistered and he's been repressed his whole life. He was locked in a basement. He was told not to be around his sisters. His mother was a horrible example of a woman. And then he never really dated. And and, and the first time he had a crush, remember, he said, if I were going to kiss her, I'd have to kill her first. Yeah. So I think he was actually genuinely like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. But then what follows is insane. He strangled Marianne to death, then did the same to Anita. And for Edmund, the kill wasn't the only thing he got jazzed about, because, yes, but it was more about being with the women after. Heads up, here's a chance to get out again. By his own admission, the women he killed were surrogates for his mom, who was still alive at the time. And having had terrible relationships with women, even a failed engagement at one time, which, by the way... It, her family stepped in and was like, absolutely not. And her name has been erased from history. So whoever that family is, good job. <laughs> Way to see the signs and go, absolutely not. He took out his rage first by killing these women. And then he finally got a chance to be with them. 
He put their bodies in his trunk and he was actually stopped on the way back to his apartment by a cop because he had a broken taillight with their bodies in his trunk. He let them go, obviously, and and maybe it was a cop he knew. Who the fuck knows at this point? Because, you know, he was Big Ed. We give Big Ed our guns and our cuffs and our badges. Yeah, you know. shits and gigs. Super chill. He then took their bodies upstairs to his apartment where he took photos of them, had sex with them, and then dismembered them. He put their parts in plastic bags and threw them out at Loma Prieta Mountain and then disposed of their heads in a ravine. He did other things to their heads I'm not going to talk about. You can infer it and feel free to read about that, but I'm not going to go there. September 14th, 1972, 15-year-old Aiko Koo got a ride from Edmund because she was late to dance class and had legit no other options. She missed her bus. This one bothers me a lot because it was like, she was like, whatever, yeah, just I just need to get to school, dance class, don't, don't worry about it. And I think just knowing how vulnerable you are as a teenager, I can see how this happened completely. And he took advantage of this vulnerable woman at this point he did the same thing to her but this time he fucked up because Aika was nice and probably because she was taught to be nice because we all were we've all been taught to be nice young women quick PSA do not be nice gals gays and theys do not be nice do not be nice fuck them fuck them Whatever they're offering you, you don't want it. You don't need it. Get the fuck out of here. Because this is what happened to Aiko. And again, she's only 15 and I am not victim blaming. He got locked out of the car with Aiko inside it, right? He then threatened her saying, I'm going to shoot you if you don't let me back in the car. But the gun was in the car with Aiko. She eventually let him back in the car. And then choked her, raped her, and then murdered her. I just, this one really bothers me because I get it. I get it. And it's hard when you're that young to really believe any of this is really happening. You know, it's just so incredulous that I I don't blame her at all for anything to happen. Instead of going straight back to his apartment, I guess this kill was a lot of work because he then hit up a bar to have a few drinks with her in the trunk. And then he went back to his place where he did the exact same routine as the other girls. And when mom's, uh, Aiko's mom called the cops to report her missing, put up flyers, asked her neighbors if they'd heard about her, all of this stuff, nothing, nothing came of it at the time. So poor Aiko's mom is losing her freaking mind And the cops have no idea what's happening or where she is. In January 7th, 1973, he picked up 18-year-old Cynthia Cindy Shawl around Cabrillo College. She was living with, uh, excuse me, he was living back with his mom at the time. So he was completely unstable. He drove Cindy to the woods, shot her dead, then put her body in his trunk to drive back to his mom's place. He then hid her body in his closet overnight But then after Clarnell left for work, he had sex with the body, dismembered her, and kept her head for a few days before burying it in Clarnell's garden because, quote, his mom always wanted people to look up to her. Oh, that's fucking crazy. Clever. He then threw the rest of her body off a cliff. February 5th, 1973, he picked up Rosalind Thorpe and Alice Liu on the University of California Santa Cruz campus where his mom worked. So now the killings are close to home and had really gained enough attention to have people freaked out because any female student was told only take rides from people with the university sticker on their cars, which not bad advice, but why not if we know a man is doing this, limit the men's ability to be on the campus and have them have a curfew and have them watch themselves instead of the victims having to watch themselves. This is the part I don't fully understand. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be made aware of a situation that's happening. Hey, there's a type, this guy's killing co-eds, all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And say, hey, stranger danger, be really fucking careful and only accept rides from people you know completely. 
But then, like, when they start doing the curfew type stuff, why why are women given the curfews and not the men who might be murdering the women? Because then it would actually curtail the violence, right? Because if you see a man loose on the street, be like, wait a minute, why are you out, bud? Aren't and then we and didn't we do a curfew for all you people? So now the killings with all this attention. Emmett had to be a little bit more careful, so what did he do? He got a sticker from one of his moms because she was a university alum, not alumni, but worked on the university, and he stuck that university sticker on his car. Well, I was about to say, how hard would it be to get one of those stickers even made? I would think it'd be pretty easy. Exactly. He picked up Rosalind and Alice before, um, and shot them before wrapping their bodies in blankets. Living with his mom still, he brought the bodies back home, did the same thing again to them, and each time he shot a victim, he would later remove the bullet shell from their skull to prevent him from being implicated. So, there is a lot of fore and afterthought here. He is not an idiot. He knows exactly what he is doing. And again, he dumped the bodies in the woods at Eden Canyon and along Route 1. So at this time in the Santa Cruz area, there were two other serial killers working, John Lindley Frazier and Herbert Mullins. So again, the cops had no idea what was going on, how many killers were actually out there, um, like why all these murders were happening. In fact, Santa Cruz, California was known as the murder capital of the world. It's like so fucking weird that throughout the 70s, we had nothing but all these serial killers just especially kind of like saturated or concentrated in one area like California, Oregon, Washington. It was very like intense. I don't know why. So then one of the other things that came up is like, fine, you're dismembering the bodies to get rid of the evidence, whatever. But then why keep the heads? Here's why. Quote. The head trip fantasies were a bit like a trophy. You know, the head is where everything is at. The brain, eyes, mouth. That's the person. I remember being told as a kid, you cut off the head and the body dies. The body is nothing if their head is cut off. Well, that's not quite true. There's a lot left in the girl's body without the head. So there were his trophies. April 20th, 1973, we're back at his mom's house and he had just murdered her and was coming back home after going to the bar because, you know, Gotta let all all that stress after killing your mom. I mean, hello, that's really stressful. Yeah. He hid Clarnell's body in a closet, and then he invited his mom's friend Sally Hallett to come over for dinner and a movie. When she arrived, he strangled her to death. He killed Sally to create a storyline that Clarnell and Sally had gone on vacation together. So that's why they weren't at work, you know, is because, you know, oh, they went on vacation. He then put Sally's body in a closet and left a note At the house, for the cops, quote, approximately 5.15 a.m. Saturday. No need for her to suffer anymore at the hands of this horrible, murderous butcher. It was quick, asleep, the way I wanted it. Not sloppy and incomplete, gents. Just a lack of time. I got things to do. That was his note. Like, I guess making an excuse like, hey, you know, normally I would do this whole thing. with like shooting and then, you know, sex, dismemberment, save the head, but... Didn't have any time. I got a lot of stuff on my plate. Got a lot of errands to run. Got to get over to the um, Piggly Wiggly. Pick up some groceries. You know how it is. He gathered ammunition and guns in his car, then drove to Pueblo, California, over a thousand miles away, thinking, okay, cops are on my trail. I'm going to do a last stand. I'm going to do this whole thing. Um... And he even listened to the radio on the way, thinking, okay, they're going to do a news break, like, ah, victims of the killer, vicious killer, Edmund Kemper. But nothing, nothing happened. So on April 23rd, 1973, he called the cops and confessed to everything. They didn't believe him at first. They told him, call back later. (laughs) He did, this time asking for a cop he knew. And luckily, this cop took it seriously and brought him in. He told them that he confessed because, quote, the original purpose was gone. It wasn't serving any physical or real or or emotional purpose. It was just a pure waste of time. Emotionally, I couldn't handle it much longer. Toward the end there, I started feeling the folly of the whole damn thing. And at that point of near exhaustion, near collapse, I just said to hell with it and called it all off. You know, 
Just whatevs. Just really getting tired of all this murder crap, y'all. I mean, you know, I decided to quit this hobby and take up knitting. Yeah. It's really exhausting. I mean... He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder at his trial, and he even got to take the stand, which is rare. He said on the stand that he killed because he wanted this woman for himself, like possessions. They did try for an insanity plea, but obviously when they saw he had the full capacity and reasoning for what he did, that did not fly. The jury found him guilty on all counts, and Edmund asked to be put to death. Instead, he got seven years to life for each of the eight counts because California doesn't have the death penalty. And he is still alive and in jail to this day. He's in his 70s, yo. I don't know why I feel like this dude should be dead. You know what I mean? Like, I just think, like, well, oh, so long ago. It's because when they have him on, like, that one show, I can't remember the name of that show, it makes it look like it was so much longer ago. Mind Hunter. Yeah. Which, by the way, definitely watch Mind Hunter. The guy who plays Edmund Kemper is incredible. Incredible. And looks just like him. So, you know, that's a book, right? Mindhunter? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's written by, well, actually, I think it's John Douglas, right? I think so. Yeah, I'm about to talk about him. So, here's the fun things that Edmund's been doing in jail, which include helping other inmates schedule their psychiatric appointments, making ceramics, narrating books on tape for the blind, which, oh my God, if you have a copy, please send me one. Please send me one. He has over some like 4,000 hours of him narrating audiobooks. Can you imagine? Like, I don't know. I just think it like... And you thought it was weird that I wanted one of the dolls that the women on the Texas Death Row used to make. Did I think that was weird? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I I take that back because that's fucking cool. Okay. In a weird way. It's not like I appreciate him. I don't want him to get anything from this. He's an absolutely horrendous human being. It's just more fascination. Like, how can this happen? Those poor people, those poor blind people had no idea that the guy who's narrating something is this nefarious killer. So he loves to talk about his crimes to anyone, and he has been interviewed a lot. He was even interviewed, obviously, by the Behavioral Science Unit of the FBI to get inside the minds of killers. And he was one of the ones that they interviewed to help create profiling in general, just to understand how their minds work so then they can create those incredibly accurate profiles. John Douglas, a former police, uh, or sorry, FBI profiler, said of Edmund, quote, his mother broke him. She neutered him psychologically through years of psychological abuse. And that may be true, but there are plenty of other kids with shitty mothers who didn't murder eight people. Well, yes. He's a dark one, to be sure. Um, I think, for me, I think the fascinating part about him is how he is able to literally just be such different people completely like if you see an interview with him you would never know you can totally see how he got away with what he did but then he'll say some callous stuff like like what he said when he confessed he basically was like i was just kind of done with it like like it, it didn't it doesn't register him to register to him that that's a human life and that's where i just go what in the hell like it just like my my brain can't wrap around it well, you want to know um, about my treasure child? Yes, I do. Because it'll make you happy. My treasure child, and that's what we're calling our good children. They were born January 3rd, 2003 in Stockholm, Sweden. It is Greta Thunberg. Oh my God, I was hoping you were doing Greta. I knew it. I was like, wait a minute, you said Sweden. In 2003, so I was like, it's Gen Z. (laughs) I love Greta. Oh my God, tell me everything about her. So her mom, Melina Ehrman, she was an opera singer, and her dad, Savante Thunberg, was an actor. And her younger sister is a pop singer in Sweden. So she's got a famous family? I had no idea. Mm Mm-hmm. Damn. So Greta began to... um, So when Greta was eight, um, she learned about the climate crisis, and that was when she started her efforts to lower her carbon footprint. So I just want to say, when I was eight, 
I didn't know what a carbon footprint was. When I was eight, I didn't know what the environment was. When I was eight, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that um, I had just learned how to play hopscotch and jump rope. Yeah. Like, this is not... Honestly, this is something children shouldn't have to be worrying about. Correct. But I'm just saying... Oh, yeah. For like, sure. <laughs> first of all, the level this child was on... I still don't know that I know what a carbon footprint I, is. Yeah. No, I for sure. You have to like kind of talk me through it. Like, oh, that's right. So, sis, hit us up. Educate us. So, at eight, she decided she wanted to lower her carbon footprint by not flying and becoming a vegan. And then she influenced the rest of her family to do the same. So, when I was eight, if I had decided I wanted to... Not fly. First of all, when I was eight, we didn't fly anywhere. Oh, no. Because that was 80s. Mm-mm. And become a vegan. Do you know what the rest of my family would have said? Oh, they would have thought you were nuts. Absolutely. They would have been like, are you, are you insane? We're eating meat. This is Texas. <laughs> they would have been like, fine. The grass is in the backyard. Yep. The rest of us are eating <laughs> these burgers. That is exactly what my father would have said. Yep. Nobody else would have jumped on my train. Nope. And that is why you have no idea who I am. And you know what she, who she is. <laughs> and so, but when she was 15, that's really when she began her client, climate activism. So... What are y'all's 15-year-olds doing right now? You want to know what mine's doing? Fucking playing video games. Like, I can't wrap my head around this. You know, and I will say this. Um, as much as people like to shit on the next generation, we I mean, you were shit on as an ex, me a millennial, Z, they're always shit on, right? Honestly, I hold out a lot of hope for them. They are miles ahead miles ahead of the previous generations when it comes to this when it comes to everything else so yeah i just hear these stories yeah they're but doing it man i think about what i was doing at that age and then i look at my own kids at that age and i'm like no the fuck why the fuck are you saving the world (laughs) jesus so that's Now I know where I'm at in my story. Picking it back up, and now this makes sense. Now this makes sense. So Greta became the face of the climate youth movement, and she was invited to speak at numerous rallies, including ones in Stockholm, London, and Brussels. And Greta's speech at the United Nations COP24 in Katowice, Poland, in December 2018 went viral Mm -hmm. so she was invited to speak at the un climate action summit in new york city in september 2019 but remember greta doesn't fly because of the whole carbon footprint situation yep so how did she get from sweden to new york then right yeah oh her and her dad with a supporting crew traveled across the atlantic on a zero emissions yacht oh well, that's nice. Isn't Shit. that how you travel? I mean, yeah, you know, my yacht. I, I had it parked out front, by the way. You mind, Do I need to move it? The zero emissions yacht? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. My mm-hmm. bad. No, you're good. Is it good? Okay. It might be graffitied by the time you get out, but it's cool. <laughs> so the trip took a little over two weeks. And when she got to the U.S., she visited with President Barack Obama And then spoke before the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Select Committee in D.C. And one of the things Greta was known for was being blunt. And as a teenager in front of adult politicians. And one of the things she said to the committees was, and I quote, I don't want you to listen to me. I want you to listen to the scientists. Exactly right. I love how blunt she is. I as a teenager to old white men who are four times your age, crazy. Yep. So two days after her meetings with the committees in D.C., 
Greta walked with millions of protesters in NYC demanding climate action at the New York City global climate strike. Um, the protests became one of the largest climate protests in the history with a total of 4 million people marching all over the world. Um, and then the next day she spoke at the UN Youth Climate Summit. Um, so even though she's made a name for herself as a teen activist, her speech at the UN Climate Action Summit in se- on September 21st, 2019 was headlined newsmaking because she criticized the leaders, lawmakers, and UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez um, that were in attendance with one of her most indigent speeches to date. In her speech, she said, and I quote, you have stolen my dreams in my childhood with your empty words, and yet I'm one of the lucky ones. People are suffering. People are dying. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a massive extinction, and all you can talk about is money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth. How dare you? For more than 30 years, the science has been crystal clear. How dare you continue to look away and come here saying that you are doing enough when the politics and the solutions you are still nowhere in sight. You are failing us, but the young people are starting to understand your betrayal The eyes of all the future generations are upon you. And if you choose to fail us, I say we will never forgive you. Nice. So days after that speech, Greta and 15 other young climate activists filed an official complaint that five countries, Argentina, France, Germany, Brazil, and Turkey, had not honored the Paris Agreement's pledges, therefore violating the UN Convention and the rights of the child treaty. So, she's not playing around. No. She's not like, oh, um, I'm not going to drive a car and I'm only going to eat vegan. And um, And then I'm going to tell everybody else they also need to do the same and I'll move on with my day. And I'm just going to post on Instagram about it. No. She's... Money where her mouth is and she actually does file complaints against people who violate terms to help reduce... The planet warming past 2050, which honestly, we're kind of barreling into a future where certain areas of the country will be unlivable because of how hot it is. And so we might have to become migrants in our own country and countries because we're fleeing how hot it fucking is in certain areas of the world. So, yeah, she has every right to be upset and to be like, we have no time, literally, to change this. We need to do it right fucking now. So, you're going to love this, because I loved this when I read this. So, after Greta's How Dare You speech, I mean, obviously, that got a lot of attention. Yeah. Right? Those were powerful words to say to adults. So... Our personal BFF, Donald Trump, hmm. who doesn't believe in climate change, mm-hmm. felt the need to mock a title, yeah, child. Yeah, yeah because he tw- his masculinity was threatened by a child. Yes. He tweeted, and I quote, She seems like a very happy young girl looking forward to a bright and wonderful future. So nice to see. So Greta is a queen and temporarily changed her Twitter bio to read, and I quote, a very happy young girl looking forward to a bright and wonderful future. <laughs> I love her so much. It's, it's petty and like, but perfect. It's perfect. But it's classy petty. It's classy petty. It's not like, fuck you. It's like she could have done something really mean and nasty. But or so or like, oh, okay. she could have okay. just raged, fuck you, Donald Trump. Oh, How yeah. dare you say that? Nope. Nope. Perfection. Perfection. Oh, I love loved it. that. And I knew you would love that. <laughs> I, love so that. <laughs> I had to put that in there. Yes. So in December 2019, Greta was asked to be one of the speakers at the UN Climate Change Conference in Madrid, Spain. And while in Madrid, she attended another major climate protest, telling her fellow protesters that, and I quote, I hope the hope is not within the walls of the COP25. The hope is out there with you. So, you know, basically saying it doesn't matter what happens in these conferences. It's 
what everybody does every day. Correct. We all meet, if we make little changes, will impact the greater whole to all together. Yeah. So Greta was actually nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize for her climate activism, but she lost the award to Ethiopian Prime Minister Albi Ahmed. Albi Ahmed was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to achieve peace and international cooperation, specifically for his decisive initiative to resolve the border conflict with um, neighboring Eritrea. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, that's amazing. Eritrea, and yeah. And awesome. But, I mean, really, Greta should have won. Yeah, I also feel like had she been received the war, had they said, hey, yeah, you won it, she would have gone like, I don't want it. You I know mean, what I mean? I mean, I'm just saying, like, you, you... You did a peace treaty. I, they should have both gotten it, okay? Peace treaties are good. Yeah. So, Time Magazine named Greta their person of the year on December 11th, 2019. Yep. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, that Trump tweet was right around the time that she also appeared on the cover of Time. And little little backstory, if you don't mind. Um... Trump has always wanted to be on the cover of Time. Oh, yeah. Always. His whole life. In fact, he has a fake cover of Time made, and it's actually hanging in, I think it's the the New York, you know, golf club that he has. Whatever the fuck. Anyway, so I think it's funny how he's given this, like, teenager shit on Twitter and then time comes in and puts her on the cover, like a ha Yeah, it's amazing. And she was actually a month shy of her 17th birthday. So she's actually the youngest person to ever be on the cover of time. That's incredible. So not only was she on the cover of time and he wasn't, she also, it was a historical cover of time. Dang it, this girl. So Greta plans to take a year off of school to campaign for climate action by traveling to Mexico, Canada, and South Africa to meet with other environmental activists and see firsthand the regions most affected by climate change. So she's still going. She's still continuing her activism. She's not just doing it, saying... Talking the talk. She's walking the walk, too. It's not performative. It's not for clout. It's actually like, no, this needs to change. And I'm so glad you did her. Oh, my God. I love her to death. I love her bluntness because as a woman who's been taught to be nice her whole life, it's nice to see a woman not being nice, especially to for, for men in authority, because that's the main key to that niceness is respect authority, but especially male authority and the fact she's even saying to like when we're talking like the people she's talking to are extremely powerful members of society oh yes heads of the un yes like this is not somebody who doesn't have power and she's like no fuck you yeah it's incredible so greta we love you keep doing what you're doing absolutely and everybody can make small little changes Now, that is not to say that corporations can make larger changes, which would actually make a difference, which is also part of the thing that she preaches is like, yes, we can all help. But really, it should start with the massive corporations who do have power and all of these these already existing mechanisms in place that can change. But if there's something you can do today, like recycle one bottle or shoot, make your own little garden or oh, I'm not going to buy eggs anymore when I have chickens. Whatever. Cool. Do it. That's great. You know what we've been doing? And I started because I had a coupon code or whatever, but I actually love it. We've been using Imperfect Foods. Oh, yeah. I love and that. then the packaging inside the box and the ice packs inside the box, we leave out on our delivery day and they pick them up and they either recycle them or they use reuse them again in somebody else's box. Oh, that's so cool. We also do a food delivery service, and they have that new um, styrofoam that dissolves in water. Mm. I, when I first saw it, I was, like, throwing it in the sink. Like, I was so stoked. Of course you were. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. But, yeah, like, it's weird. Like, little things like that can make a big difference. And, yes, I understand that, you know, we live on a planet. Our planet's going to go through cycles of hot and cold. But we ain't helping it. You know what I mean? 
We are not helping it go the right direction. So just bear that in mind, everybody. And, and listen to Greta. She's absolutely right. No, not everyone's able to like not take a commercial flight. We get that. Like, Well, and I mean, I have to drive my car to work right. every day. We have to do certain things. But in other ways, if you can even just small little things like that, like in Perfect Foods. Well, and you know, the food is food that wasn't pretty enough for the store or... Which is so silly. Or Think about too that. small for the grocery store, whatever. So it doesn't go in the trash. The farmer still gets to sell it and make money off of it. You know, I just like the whole concept of it as well. And also prevents food waste. My God, there's mm-hmm. so much food waste in our country. We literally could feed our whole country, everybody who's who's hungry right now, plus other countries it, with all the food waste we have. So that's a phenomenal, that's actually a really good um, idea. It's just like small little things like that. So yeah, we're going to have a couple more kids episodes for you. Um, and we also have the video killer episodes out on Patreon. We really hope you enjoy that. All the Duggar updates are there, including, including Josh's trial and his sentence is actually up on our Patreon. All our videos are up on our Patreon, which, by the way, our videos are all the unedited shit that doesn't end up in the podcast, so you get to see the rough version of us. You know, it's <laughs> funny you bring up the Duggar series because I just got a Reddit notification from the Duggar Snart Reddit. Mm. It is a picture of Josh's wife, Anna, in pants, bro. Is she, is she pregnant? Does you know I prego? think she is. Uh, if you have not been following that saga, it's a whole hot mess. Talk about a clusterfuck. I think that's what appears whenever you look in the old dictionary for that word clusterfuck. So definitely uh, take a look at that <laughs> if you feel like it. Um, the other cool part about being a Patreon or a patron of our Patreon is you get episodes a day early. So all those See You Next Tuesday episodes become See You Next Monday episodes. So that's another cool feature about being a patron. Um, we also are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in August 27th through the 29th in Dallas, Texas. So mm-hmm. if you feel so inclined, we'd love to see y'all there. We'll have super shit, shit-ass merch. Why did I say shit-ass? I don't know. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, you're making promises. I hope we can keep. Yeah. Well, we're going to have stickers for damn sure. That we will have. Stickers! <laughs> we will have stickers. TBD on everything else. But um, even if you just want to stop by and say hi, hey, we actually listen, that'd be super fucking badass. You uh, know what? We have gotten a whole bunch of new listeners out of um, Levytown, New York. Hmm. Probably mispronouncing that. It's probably some I, Levison I'm, or something. I know I'm mispronouncing <laughs> that. And since I know we have new listeners up there, like a whole bunch. Wow. Hey, New York. Holla. We love New York, by the way. We love everywhere. I think we just we just gotta we need to get out of this house. I need out need this out house. This house out this state. Out My this God. state. <laughs> Lord help us all. <sighs> On that note, thank y'all so much for listening. And as always, see you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You can find us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, we'll see you next Tuesday.